This is CUNY TV, the City University of New York. City University Television presents The American Theatre Wing Seminars Working in the Theatre This seminar, Producing Welcome to the American Theatre Wing Seminars on Working in the Theatre. These seminars are coming to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York, located in the heart of Times Square, in the heart of Broadway, Off-Broadway, and Off-Off-Broadway, the theatre that comes together to bring the magic of theatre to all of us. The American Theatre Wing, as you know, created the Tony Awards, the highest honor given for excellence in the theatre. However, the Wing is more than the Tony Awards. The Wing is also the theater's longest-running, continuous production in the city, both in the city and in the country. We are an organization that is committed to serving the community through the theater. And these seminars are but one of our programs, one of our year-round programs. From the early days of the Wing's stage door canteens came our current program of bringing theater and entertainment into hospitals, nursing homes, and AIDS centers throughout the metropolitan, metropolitan area, which helps not only the patients, but the staff as well. Our Saturday Theater for Children program brings live professional theater to elementary school children in their own neighborhoods, creating an early habit of theater going and nurturing the audiences of the future. This year, over a quarter million children in 70 schools in the five boroughs will see over 400 productions. These and other programs strive for the enhancement of our American theater, which is a natural resource in this country. And these seminars are intended to bring you a behind-the-scenes look at our American theater from the perspective of the performers, the playwrights, directors, and the productions. This year, the American Theatre Wing went overseas and did a working in the theatre live from London, which was very successful and very rewarding. And it was produced by Dash Epstein, one of the Wing's board of directors. We hope that we will go to Moscow and Japan and wherever else there is theatre. Today's seminar is devoted to the production, the producers who have taken it all together. They've taken the performers, the playwrights, the directors, everyone that has anything to do with the production that comes to the audience. They're the people that make it happen. And so I would like to immediately turn this seminar over to our co-chair, Jean Dalrymple, who is a director, has been a producer, author, and is a member of the Board of Directors of the American Theatre Wing, and Brendan Gill, who is a critic, a writer, and a member of the New Yorker magazine, and also a striver for excellence in the city. Thank you very much. Please go on. 
we're instructed to keep our introductions uh, to, to a minimum. So of Arthur Lawrence, of whom one ought to say that there was simply everything in the theater that Arthur has done successfully, I'm only allowed to say that he is a playwright director. And, uh, <laughs> and then uh, on, on my immediate right is Fran Weisler, who I am allowed to say only is a part of the celebrated team of producers of both Gypsy and Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Gene, see how limited you can be in <laughs> Well, way down there on my left is the, the casting director, which is something new to me, an old-timer in the theater, but very, very necessary today. And uh, he has been the casting director on both Gypsy and Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, and his name is Stuart Howard. Mr. Stuart Howard. Next to him is one of the really great publicity directors of the world, and I'm happy that she's a woman, because, <laughs> because believe me, when I started as a, a woman publicity director, it was not easy, and I guess it still isn't. And she's been the, uh, um, the publicity director for both Gypsy and Cat and Hot Tin Roof and done a fabulous job, and her name is Shirley Hurts. <laughs> I didn't forget it. I didn't forget it. I've always wondered whether to say hers or hurts. Which is it? Hers, right. And next to her is the lady general manager of these shows, or a gypsy, I guess it is. Uh, I don't think that anybody could handle both of those shows, especially a girl. Uh, any, anyway, just a minute. <laughs> uh, not because of what you think, but because of what I know. <laughs> That's how God talks all the time. <laughs> um, and anyway, she is the general manager for the show, and her her name is Alicia Parker. And right here next to me, I'm happy to say, is part of the two that made the whole thing happen. And his name is Barry Weisler. <laughs> and now I'd like to ask them both. I think it's wonderful that you revived these two terrific shows. And who had the idea and which came first? Oh, my God. Between the two of us who have yeah. the idea? I don't think we could uh, possibly remember because we think as one. Oh, I, well, I kind of remember. <laughs> oh, oh, well, you think as two, I see. The idea of Gypsy really was not ours. We can't take full credit for that. The idea of Gypsy came from a phone call to me from this astute gentleman whom I adore, Arthur Lawrence, who called about the possibility of our joining him and Barry Brown, who was going to produce it also, to produce Gypsy. And uh, he mentioned Tyne Daly, whom we really adored in the television show she had been in, but never dreamt of her being a singer uh, to the degree of, of performing Rose and Gypsy. But the idea really came from Arthur and from Barry Brown, and then Barry and I decided to do it. Canada had to I think you were responsible for uh, in that you read an article one day 
uh, about uh, Kathleen Turner desiring to return to the stage. Right. And I can't remember if the article also uh, reported that she wanted to play Maggie. Did it? Yeah, it did. And, and that's, uh, I read all those articles that So much for our genius. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all those articles that everyone says they never really want to read, I read them all. Yes. And I read, and I read, uh, probably you placed it, Shirley. And I read that, Ka that, yeah, <laughs> that Kathleen really wanted to come back to Broadway one day, and that was the one role she wanted mm. to do. And then I just told Barry, and we got on the phone. Uh, we pursued her for, <laughs> for uh, approximately two years, oh. and it finally came together. We've been talking in the past in the other couple of seminars about the extraordinary amount of time that is required for any kind of a production nowadays, it seems, increasingly over the years. So that uh, a revival, instead of being any easier, is perhaps just as difficult to put together all the pieces as it, as, as, uh, as it would have been if it had been brand new. But two years is a short time nowadays, apparently, for many of these projects. Yes. Uh, it is a little easier, though, Brendan, to put a revival together. You know the pitfalls. You know what worked before. Uh, if you bring in uh, a fine director and uh, the uh, optimum cast, the work is a little simpler. And also the scale, we, uh, one of the things that people keep wondering about, we hear more and more about the scale of the great big uh, musical comedy has, has gotten too big and too expensive and all the rest mm -hmm. of it, and everybody thinks isn't there some more moderate method of doing all this. But that doesn't intimidate you, again, in a revival if you have confidence in the nature of the material, presumably. That's correct. This didn't seem, these are two big productions. Are these exceptional in terms of financial cost, too, or not? Uh, no, um, uh, to the contrary, uh, they, we set the budget, they were appropriate budgets, and I think we reached our goals in both uh, experiences. It's very hard for people to do the arithmetic of the change in the value of the dollar anymore, because it's a convention now for everybody to speak about everybody else as a billionaire. And if in truth everybody is a billionaire <laughs> these days, then the cost of musical comedies isn't out of line with what's happened to everything else. That is also true. But, but that's a favorite theme. Again, it's even in the paper today, when they the talk about the new musical yeah. comedy up at uh, SUNY at Purchase, uh, that uh, trying to get costs down. Book publishing in infinitely more expensive than it used Much to be, apparently. What did you do in the two years uh, that you waited for Miss Turner? Because I remember at a luncheon, <laughs> she was very excited about the idea of doing this, and that was two years ago. We hear about actors and playwrights who, who uh, become either waiters or bartenders in the meantime before they get their their big break. What do producers do while they're well, waiting? Where do you start? Years. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Those two years, really, what we did was wait for Kathleen. What happened is that she said yes, and we put it all together. We found the director, who was Howard Davies. We put everything together. We worked very hard on it. Barry and myself and Alicia, our general manager, our female general manager, who's probably the best in the business, I think. Um, and the three of us really put it all together. And then she came to us through her agent and said she had the opportunity to perform in War of the Roses. And it was Danny DeVito and um, Michael Douglas, and she'd had two great hits with them. And she asked if we would release her. She had an agreement. And we decided it would be wiser to release her and have a happy actress a year later than to hold her to it and have an unhappy actress a year ago. So we, w we really were waiting for her. But it was difficult because then when we had to release all those other people and all of them had other commitments and all of them were mad. <laughs> <laughs>
Where do you start then on, actually you're going into production now, and where do you start? What comes first for this whole thing? Well, what, once the seminal idea is in place, uh, uh, the, the uh, fact that we wanted to do Cat on a Hot Tin Roof with Kathleen Turner, or we wanted to do Gypsy with Tyne Daly, uh, the the uh, next level of work is bringing your creative staff together. Uh, in the case of Gypsy, that was uh, uh, a, a no-thought job because they were there, ready to go, and they are wonderful, uh, brilliant creators. Arthur Lawrence, Julie Stein, Stephen Sondheim, uh, our marvelous musical director, Eric's last name? Stern. Stern. Eric Stern. Can't remember them all. We bring that creative element together, and they begin their work. Stuart joins us, uh, certainly uh, at the inception, uh, and begins his casting work. And I'm sure he'll tell you more about that in a moment, uh, because it interfaces with everything else mm -hmm. we do, uh, right down to, I think, the 12th hour, when we was off in South Carolina mm -hmm. trying to find our baby June. Uh, the, the, the next level of work uh, includes Alicia, certainly, and Shirley hers. Shirley has to get the word out way before uh, there's even that very first day of rehearsal when the company sits around the table and Arthur has taken over uh, his, the, the, the job of creating the production. Uh, Shirley has to get the word out and that means writing stories. It means sending pictures out when there are no pictures available. <laughs> it, it, it means doing something for a television commercial or a radio commercial when the actors and actresses haven't even arrived in town How yet. far in advance are you talking about now? <coughs> oh, at least six months before the uh, first uh, uh, rehearsal date. Not with Gypsy. <laughs> all right. It wasn't booked. I mean, it was all last minute. Remember? No, you're forgetting. But we had meetings in the fall. Absolutely. The, the presenters, uh, author, which you might not have been familiar with, were waiting for materials. Uh, all those cities, Miami, um, where were Orlando. we? Chattanooga, Tennessee, uh, Orlando, oh. Pittsburgh. Yeah. Well, you make it sound so idyllic, and it wasn't. <laughs> 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 hard work. Costa Mesa, Los Angeles, Costa they needed Mesa, their materials. Indeed. <laughs> How did it really happen? <laughs> well, I was just listening to it and I thought, should I say something or not? Uh, this is all really rather theoretical talk. Mm -hmm. The truth was, uh, take time daily. We didn't know whether the woman could sing. And she came mm. in and she auditioned. And the truth was, that fortunately was a tour, and during the tour, the woman's voice got stronger. It wasn't originally. She learned how to sing. She had never done musical theater. She had to learn that. She's the key to the production. That was important. Uh, Alicia is, as Fran said, she's an absolute uh, sensational general manager. She was my contact with reality, because I had all these ideas, but she made them happen. She was terribly supportive. And Barry and Fran had to book this thing at the last minute, and it wasn't easy. Mm. I mean, it really was a tussle, and we had some lousy bookings that you had to take. That's what I mean, making it sound so simple. Uh, it, if it hadn't come together, we wouldn't be sitting here, but it could just have easily bombed. Tell me about the bookings. You mean, this is bookings across the country before yes. you brought it into New York. Yeah. And you they feel that that's her. a... They didn't want her. You mean well, the presenters? The presenters didn't want it. It was a hard sell. Arthur's absolutely right. 
I mean, it was a very author, hard sell. Author should never enter the press representative business. Boy, <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it shows a triumph of, uh, <laughs> of, of will and survival and creativity. It, it, it we were broke, we weren't done in by these presenters who said Tyne Daly. Who the hell is she? And not only Tyne was not. However, you're using the word presenter. Tell us what you mean uh, by presenter. Of, often uh, we will create a work. Uh, which in its first uh, thrust to the public will play the United States uh, in the form of uh, presenters or sponsors who are located in various cities in the United States and Canada who are willing to foot the bill for the local expenses and in many cases guarantee the show its costs. And then they retrieve that money from the box office uh, results, and then we divide uh, any monies left are these over if there is. Are independent theater owners? Or? Independent theater owners or independent uh, local presenters who might reside in uh, Los Angeles or Phoenix or Miami. Might run off with the box office. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which has occurred so on a number of occasions. So first, you have to sell them on the idea of doing your show, mm -hmm. and our show was Gypsy. And Gypsy, no matter how terrific we all felt it was, it's a revival, and people back away a little bit from that. So then they say, well, who's the star? Well, the star was Tyne Daly, and Tyne Daly is a great television personality, or was then. That's all she was sure. considered. And they thought, oh, can she sing, and why is she doing this show? And so we really had to sell it very strongly. And we were all scared <laughs> as we were selling it, really. And the truth be known, since Arthur has opened the truth door, <laughs> The, the truth be known, uh, ticket sales were lackluster uh, up to the opening performance of each city's run. And the moment we began to perform, and we spent a lot of money on advertising. Uh, Fran and I believe in marketing a show properly. So we spent a great deal of money on television, radio, and in print. Uh, but it wasn't until the first performance that the audiences began to rush the box office. And then lo and behold, we just couldn't keep them out. It, it made no difference from that point on. Those were short runs of a week. And yeah. that's where we got so the early uh, performance, there was nobody. Right. That's, right. that's right. And it's hard to, there's another interesting thing, I think, that television stars don't really mean very much in the theater, and I think for two reasons. One is, particularly in a musical, they think, oh, well, here's somebody who can sing, who's schlepping around a junky package. They didn't know this was a first-class production. The other is if they can see them for free, they don't want to pay. That's interesting. That's because a, they that's expect a very television good stars to be in summer tents and summer... And well, they should be. ...dinner <laughs> 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 theaters. Well, Shirley, how did you do your work then? It was well, the even press, more difficult the, than we'd heard. The press is e what was and is easy with time. She was a no name that was known by the press. Mm. And the press was to have a TV star come to Indianapolis or Minneapolis. Was, it was terrific. They're Those interviews ready, and various ready, willing, and able to see her because they actually don't get stars that often. However, to get back to Jean's billing about Alicia not being general, uh, only being general manager on one. The reason is she's associate producer in Cat. Here, here. Press, press agents has it is a good press agent at work. That's right. My, my press agent. <laughs> In line with what we're saying, uh, on the obverse side, when we announced Cat on a Hot Tin Roof with Kathleen Turner, film stars do sell tickets, and uh, yeah. that show's uh, sold from the get-go. Well, that's interesting. Uh, the film star does, and the television star 
Not so much. Okay. Is that but it? not every tele uh, every film star no. would no, say. It depends. She's a mega right. star. Yeah, mega and a major, uh, major star. star. Well, most film stars aren't film stars. Most film stars do two movies, and that's <laughs> yeah, the end of right. it. Right. But it's true. anybody with longevity, and Kathleen's had it, and she's had blockbuster mm -hmm. hits, mm. is going to sell. Yes. Did you come into it at that point, too, or have you always been associated with Fran and, and Barry? And no. Alicia. Mm. Oh. Oh, I, I, yeah, I've worked with Fran and Barry for many years and um, have worked on every project that they've worked on. Where, where did you come from? What was your background? My standard question, where did you come from? <laughs> I'm going to tell the truth like ours. <laughs> Let me get her going with the truth and then she can fill it in. She, she was at the University of Georgia, and Fran and I in those days toured the school system of the United States from one end of the coast to the other. And we had a training program, and an apprentice training program. And we would see all these young college students uh, and, and select out of them, uh, from them, perhaps six. And they joined this program, which was a non-paying position and mom and dad had to support each one of these uh, young apprentices. And she came aboard uh, and uh, did that for about six months or so. Let Wanted her to tell be a the rest. Go ahead. <laughs> 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 and I worked as the uh, assistant stage manager of Tom Sawyer. I had the choice of uh, driving the truck, putting up the sets, <laughs> washing the costumes, <laughs> yelling at the actors when they weren't doing their jobs. And um, at the end of that tour, six months later, Fran offered me the position of her assistant, and that was 12 Had years ago. Had you joined the union? Then they paid you. What? That's <laughs> when they started paying me. Not right. <laughs> when did you join the union? I'm not a member of the union. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Um, so that was 12 years ago, and since uh -huh. then um, we went from doing She's Tom Sawyer. To starting to produce our work Producer. on um, Broadway. Yeah. Now, did that program of yours continue? It um, did. Um, so it did. And we sent uh, many uh, young ladies and gentlemen to uh, good working positions in the theater business. And mm -hmm. bad working conditions. And, <laughs> some, and some left forever, mm -hmm. which also yeah. happens. Mm -hmm. Perhaps it's for the best. Yeah. But now, I want to go back to Shirley. And now, when did you come into the picture? In both cases, very early, at the very beginning? Yes, I was mm -hmm. involved with both of them at the very yes. outset. Mm -hmm. And Cat happened during the time of Gypsy, so we were already working together. So it dovetailed. And, but the press, the earlier you're on the so-called case, the better, because it takes a long time to assemble all the, the elements. And I have to wait until, Howard, uh, until Stewart's job's completed, because I don't know who the actors are. I'm not, so I'm dealing, as Barry said, with pictures that, that are non-existent. And uh, we send a, sent out a lot of pictures of Arthur because we knew he was there. <laughs> <laughs> what has he got to complain about? Not a thing. <laughs> Award-winning director, playwright. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Whom you kept muzzled otherwise. <laughs> having worked with Arthur before in Lacage, I was prepared. I think the truth <laughs> is interesting. Yeah. Much more. I won't go into it, but Arthur and I attended a performance of a play not long ago, a reading. And Arthur, we walked out nonplus. I mean, I said, what are we going to say? Arthur said the truth. I said, how can you do that? And then I started thinking about it. And I, he made me tell the truth, and mm -hmm. I'm grateful to him for it. And what is the consequence of truth-telling? Mm -hmm. that? Well, that's what I was worried about. But yeah. I <laughs> was Arthur had already spoken to her, so that I... It was a, it was <laughs> a friend who it was a reading of her play, and it was... To, 
This first reading was mainly for friends, so she wasn't hurt. Mm -hmm. But the second one was going <coughs> to be in a professional setting. And then she would have, you know, would have been like, uh, who's that saint with all the arrows? Sebastian. Well, when you're in a professional situation, that's bad. And I think they may not like it at the moment, but it's you are doing a friend a service if you tell your honest opinion. It could be wrong, but at least it'll make them think. So you were actually able to do that. That is yes. very rare. Yeah. I no, that's hard. Very well, hard. I, this yeah. was easy because I didn't have a clue what was going on in that play. Nobody else did. <laughs> <laughs> and they were all saying, oh, it's so interesting. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, when you, somebody says it's interesting, you know you're doomed. <laughs> what about the advertising that you talked about? Who handles that, and when did you start with your advertising campaign, and how do you budget? Can we start with, get into some, I don't mean exact figures, but percentages of your whole budget. How, how do we budget? The rule of thumb on advertising usually is to spend 10% of the gross receipts that you expect to have. Now that works in some cities, but it doesn't in others. Um, and one of the things that I think that we've learned through the years of having shows on the road is how to budget for each individual city. You spend um, a much different amount uh, percentage-wise in Los Angeles than what you might in Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is just from the, the costs that are involved. So you, you basically have the same scheme in terms of the number of weeks out front that you run your first print ad, the number of weeks out front that you go on television and radio, and the, the amount of exposure you're expecting to get, but it doesn't always run within that 10% range. And your dollar doesn't buy as much in every city. Right, like that's LA, why. the rates are very high. Right. It's very seasonal. Uh, that period leading up to Christmas is very expensive. Uh, the period after Christmas is quite inexpensive. The summer is another situation. Hmm. Sometimes we attempt to book the large cities in a period of time in which television and radio buying will be less expensive. Sometimes you, we can't. Do you think you can detect quite remarkable differences in the cultural attitudes of cities? You're among the rare people who really oh, yes. know America. Absolutely. From Absolutely. Coast to coast. Big difference. Absolutely. Major difference. Now, is uh, Minneapolis famously a good place or... Well, it's, it's beginning to come back, and what you see is you see trends through the years with different cities. Um, New Orleans used to be fabulous for theater; it could be a two-week stand for most shows. As it is now, most right now, most shows are having difficulty even doing one-week stands mm. in New Orleans, and so it's changed with time. Um, Minneapolis years ago was not as good as it's becoming to be now. It's really being built up, mm -hmm. and a lot of that is the support of the local people in terms of continuing to bring it in and continuing to build that audience. Tell them about Chattanooga. <coughs> Chattanooga is uh, a good example. We had uh, we had a director on Gypsy <laughs> who had quite a number of, of um, specifics that he needed for his first theater, rightfully so, uh, as to where we were going to tech the production and, and do our first performances. So we started out on a search across the country for the ideal theater to open Gypsy in, and. Um, something like 200 theaters later landed on a theater that had just been renovated called the Tivoli in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And it just, it was something that looking in a book one day, we were desperate. It was coming very close to the time that we had to sign a contract. Um, we were down to the wire and we went off the technical director, um, Arthur's production supervisor and myself went off <laughs> to Chattanooga, looked at the theater and said, our dream has come true. It's hmm. ideal. 
Mm -hmm. At the time, the theater had just been renovated, and nobody knew if there was going to be an audience in Chattanooga um, because it, there had never been one before. Um, and the town really came out. I mean, it was an incredible experience. The theater is also one of the most theater. beautiful in America. Mm -hmm. yes. It's incredible. Was it a converted old legitimate theater or a movie theater? An old movie vaudeville theater. house. Vaudeville. Mm -hmm. vaudeville right. house. An old vaudeville. And it's all of uh, coral and gold mm -hmm. and gray. Mm -hmm. And beautiful. Very intimate. Mm -hmm. Very lovely. Mm. Can you imagine our Say first so. telephone uh, call? Was it 1400 and 1700? 14. 14? Yeah. Mm -hmm. We can get bigger, can it? If you yeah, I think it could have gone up to 16. When you cover up the orchestra pit. Just in yeah. passing, what was the ticket price there? If you recall, oh, approximately. I remember. Um, probably five or $27 mm -hmm. on, the, on the. And we only top did four side. performances. Um, yes, but is that the, uh, the, the general ticket price across the country outside no, of well, I think it's, no, I think, I think it's lower in, in well, Chattanooga. I think not. we're talking the average ticket price now for a musical is probably $35. Mm -hmm. And for a straight play, 30 is much more likely as the average price across the country. I saw an ad the other day in the Philadelphia paper, and I, I don't know whether it was for $50. I forget going, whether it was for It's getting mm -hmm. up there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The rest of the company, uh, country is now beginning to meet New York mm -hmm. prices. But is there much resistance to it? That's the important thing. Uh, that's a very good question, Brenda, but that always uh, goes along with the product, uh, the production that the audience is willing to see in cities such as Chicago. Chicago has been, become the most difficult market in the United States. For us. Really? Uh, well, for most theater people. I, I mean, Phantom has taken off, and I think they have an advance there in the high oh, millions, oh. so they'll have no problem. But we brought some very, very special productions to Chicago, and we've had difficulty selling them, such as My One and Only, which starred Tommy Toon and Sandy Duncan. What we, theater? Uh, we played the Opera House. Big. Yes. Now, what's the answer to that? Or what do you think it must be the answer in connection with Chicago, which is famously... I think part of it is the theaters, Brendan. Mm -hmm. They're so big they that you have no contact crown. with what's on the stage. So most productions uh, don't seem to be very good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All the theaters in Chicago are huge. Yeah. The Gary Crown huge. is the largest thing I've oh, ever seen. Oh, it's a monster mm -hmm. house. And the people like the Steppenwolf and that kind of... That's right. Yes. And intimate... Uh, theater and well, play. everybody likes to see the actors. I mean, in those theaters, you need binoculars <laughs> in the first row. <laughs> <laughs> the the, uh, the, the s most celebrated conservative art critic in, in the United States, Hilton Kramer, said last week in the New York Observer, a very remarkable and good newspaper. But Hilton began his review saying, Nobody goes to the theater anymore. And then he went on in that tone, indicating that it was literally the case, as far as he could detect here in New York City, that nobody went to the theater. Now, he's not only cockeyed in respect yeah. to New York City, but <clears throat> evidently he's cockeyed in respect to the entire country. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And uh, he, would, he could be put away uh, for, for, yeah. for remarks as fatuous <laughs> as that. But, but I was just thunderstruck that he, as a supposedly intelligent man, doesn't have any sense of artistic ferment or the excitement between people in the theater and, and the desire of people to you see right. theater, uh, this is as much as it has ever been in my experience. Yeah. Absolutely. More, but it's really more. more. This there, are, there are thousands of community theaters uh, from coast to coast, really thousands, and people go all the time. You know, uh, my brother is out in South Dakota, 
and he sends me all the theater news. Mm -hmm. And it's enormous what they have out there from all the small towns. He sends me clippings, mm -hmm. and they're doing all the shows that were done two years ago on Broadway, you know. Mm -hmm. And they're done by these local companies, the community theaters. But they're, they're countless, and there is an enormous interest in theater, yeah. a live theater. It's true, but it's more interesting to read something negative than something yeah. positive. It's yeah. always more controversial, and yes. people but like to say things to like that. the producing part of it, you're one of the few producing teams that are in producing year in and year out. Mm -hmm. And there are very few of those left here. Do you have a track record when you go out to your presenters, Do you, when you go to raise money? You mean investors? You mean. Well, yes. Investors and presenters as well. No, you talk about I, the difficulties. Can I say a word? We used to call what you call the, <laughs> what did you call it, Justin? The presenters? We used to call them local managers. And they managed a theater. They would rent a theater, and then they would bring in shows and manage them. Right. So they're, they're, the real name of them is local managers. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's true. Mm -hmm. that's true. Well, uh, to, to answer your question, I, I, yes, I guess we have a track record. Because we, You're known we, as king and queen of the road. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like true. that. that no. sounds well, so now fun. you've moved on to Broadway. So the queen king, queen of Broadway, <laughs> and Broadway right. before. Oh. Oh. Well, not as successfully let's, let's as this. Let's start no, from no. the beginning. All right, you have to raise money. You're going to have two shows on. You're going to do uh, Gypsy and Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Both. Mm -hmm. Same season, right? Right. right. Where do you start? You start with the money? You start with where? That's a right. very interesting question. It's a, it's a variety <laughs> of, uh, of <laughs> elements <laughs> that tumble yes, together. We had four productions this year that we produced in-house. Uh, we were doing uh, an aborted <coughs> production, unfortunately, because our star became ill and is now in perfect health. We had a production of A Walk in the Woods, which was to star Anthony Quinn, uh, and uh, Tony had bypass surgery, and we stopped in the middle of, well, the night before we were to open in Syracuse. Mm -hmm. uh, we presented Fiddler on the Roof this year with Topol, um, Gypsy with Tyne Daly, and uh, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof with Kathleen Turner. So it was a very busy portfolio for us as a production house. And some of it uh, came about because the money was available, and some of it came about because the houses were available and the money followed. So there's no set formula or, or manner of working uh, in terms of raising money. It's quite a mix. How is the money available? How was the money available? Well, uh, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof with Kathleen Turner uh, wasn't that difficult the first time. The first time when we released her mm -hmm. to do War of the Roses and then came back to do it again, I think there was doubt on the part of some of our theater managers, mm -hmm. the local managers and the presenters as to whether she would actually do it. It became very difficult mm -hmm. the second time. The first time was very easy. Uh, she's an enormous name and uh, uh, the money was there. Uh, uh, to be truthful, as, as Arthur would, would like me to, <laughs> <laughs> Gypsy was uh, uh, difficult, extremely difficult. And we worked right to the 1230 hour. We went beyond the 12th hour. They also put up their own money, <laughs> for which I'm very grateful. And I think the real reason is not money. It's the determination of these three people. When they decide to do a show, they're going to get it on, and by God, they do. And my hat's off to them. There are oh. not many people like that in the theater. That's right. Here, here. Yeah. here, here.
to hear that from you is really wonderful. <laughs> but he always tells the Man speaks truth. All right, so you now have your money and... And there's also more institutional money coming into the theater from foreign corporate, countries. Uh, when you say institutional, do you mean corporate? Corporate money. Film companies, television companies, more recording companies, uh, Japanese corporate entities that have some reason uh, to be connected with uh, a much, Broadway how show. How much of a percentage do they take of your whole there when, when the Japanese, when the film come in? How do you, how do you apportion that? It's, it, it varies. Mm -hmm. Gypsy, for example, the, uh, a company called Tokyo Broadcasting invested almost 25% of the capitalization. So they, they put in a major amount in terms of, of Gypsy's financing. Mm -hmm. So that was an extreme. There's always the famous question of when does a production pay off? Now, if Gypsy was so difficult to launch financially, is it also going to be difficult to recoup? Well, we are pleased to tell you, Brendan, that uh, we have recouped the show on paper, uh -huh. cash flow, uh, and, and the bookkeeping, the profit and loss statements are two different things. Uh, but, but basically, um, uh, we will catch up cash flow-wise. The show uh, is about to recoup or has recouped. We just recouped April 22nd. So that's very quickly, isn't it? Well, yes. no. it was almost a year yeah, for Gypsy. Year. Year. Oh, but one hears out in the world that these things take so long. I don't know. No, it doesn't Gypsy have took to. long no. because of the, the problems that we had on the road. Right. Mm -hmm. if, Gypsy would have recouped from I think the truth is interesting. The idea of the road was to pay off the production because right. we had a star. It boomeranged. Yep. Right. We d exactly. It didn't pay off. It fell into law. What happened was lost. we came to New York and it was good. And that made it pay That's off. That's true. Exactly. Exactly. We paid off in six months, frankly. Mm -hmm. uh, but we also had to cover some deficit financing from the road. On so we paper, hadn't even. Isn't that the, the idea is to go on the road in order to recoup before you mm -hmm. come in? So you come in with yeah. a certain amount of, of recoup, security behind home, you. Adapt, all yes. of those things. And all uh, those come things to, to come in with a certain amount of money. For Gypsy, that was definitely the intention. The intention was that the road would protect the investment, and as Arthur said, it did just the opposite. In this one case, because of the bookings being short bookings and because the sales didn't start until the show had its first performance, it, it lost money on the road. The longer mm -hmm. engagements made money. The longer engagements made money, the shorter ones didn't. See, we had and no advance. You have to have an advance on the road because you go in and out quickly. So if, the, if there's no advance, what do you do Tuesday, Wednesday matinee, Wednesday night, die. Thursday? You <laughs> die. And he's absolutely right. So then set Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you, you blow everyone's mind and you do well, but you never make up for the seat that isn't filled that Tuesday night. Mm -hmm. That's one thing in, in the live performing arts. You never can sell that same seat again. There's it's no not like you put life. a movie in a can. There's no mm -hmm. shelf life, and it's over, and it's over you know, forever. And but Barry way, and I have always worked trying to produce a show with, with hopefully a major star and a, and a major classic that we reproduce, although we're, going to, we're not going to do that forever, but which we have done, and have it go on the road so it repays its investors, so the investors aren't constantly saying, which is the negative reporting you always hear in the newspapers, we're not getting our money back. So hopefully you come in, you're paid off, or you're half paid off, and then the bonus is in New York. But it didn't happen that way. All three of our shows uh, this year uh, have been very successful. They have all paid off. Cat paid off very quickly. 
Would you have been able to uh, carry three productions uh, simultaneously like that unless you had computers? I think it would take a lot of computers to keep that all going. <laughs> You'd be amazed how little computers have to do with running our business. I mean, it has certainly helped in, in certain areas, but it's still very people-oriented, mm -hmm. very hands-on, and the computers haven't changed it that dramatically. So you're all able to do what it used to be called mental arithmetic. <laughs> we use our pencils. Yeah. When does casting come in? Depends on the show. Um, Fran gets involved with casting. I've done five shows with the Weislers, eight with Arthur. Um, and they get involved very, very early. Fran does. It's not just the star of the show that she's producing, that they are producing, but everyone who surrounds the star also. Uh, now, of course, I was involved in Gypsy before they were involved in Gypsy because of this other producer, Barry Brown. And we were ready to go, but um, was your I, idea to bring the Weislers in? I it think. was my idea actually yes. to he call Barry because uh, I had worked with the Weislers, and I called Arthur okay. because the fact is something that Arthur said: everyone in the United States that I deal with, agents, managers, and actors, know that if the Weislers are going to produce a show, it's going to get produced, and that, for some sad reason, is not the majority of the cases. I think it's the only case. It probably is. When they announce that they're going else. to do a show and are going ahead, agents can say, well, yes, all right, we will commit to this amount of time for this actor because we know it's going to happen. Or if it doesn't in the case of Walk in the Woods, which is a tragedy, it was no one's fault. Sure. Um, I got involved in Gypsy a year before it actually started. We would start work and stop and start and stop. Once the Weislers came on board, we started, we opened May 1st. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, it's our anniversary next week. That's and right. In Leningrad. <laughs> <laughs> and I started in January. Mm -hmm. uh, literal casting. Mm -hmm. My partner Amy Schechter and I started casting um, every day. On Cat in a Hot Tin Roof, it was as prolonged as their experience because the entire show could have been cast. And the day before we started the auditions, Howard Davis was brought in from London at their expense to sit in at auditions at the Actors' Equity Building. And Fran came to me and said, don't tell anyone, <laughs> but Kathleen isn't going to do the show this <laughs> So everyone we're auditioning we are going to keep auditioning <laughs> and we'll try to remember that we love them or not love them. But the fact is we don't want to ruin their audition because we didn't want to cancel auditions. And so we sat there acting <laughs> as well as the actors did. Auditioning <laughs> yourselves. Exactly. And we auditioned for a week, I would guess. And then Howard went back to London. And then I waited until they told me it was happening again. And then we started again. And, um, as Fran pointed out, some of them just said, no, forget it. It won't happen again. You may believe that Kathleen is going to do it, but we don't. And, but then we got a superb cast, and so it all worked out wonderfully. Right. And wonderfully because they recouped their money, wonderfully because it's an artistic success. And gathering that cast, did you gather it from your, your, your files, or did you go out and see people? How does a casting director work? This is it's generally, for our office, it's the same every time, which is we take great pride uh, 
this is not just doing lip service, but we do take pride in finding new people or unusual people to fit ordinary roles. Um, through our files, through our mental files, no work on computers. Um, agent suggestions, certainly. And then you talk to the director, in this case, in CAT, as opposed to Gypsy, where Arthur's right here, the director is in London and literally knew no American actors. I don't even know if he knew Kathleen, maybe through movies, he but he did not know Charles Durning. <laughs> he had, I don't mean knew him personally. He had no idea who Charles Durning was. We sent um, him movies. We, we sent him movies. So Fran and I worked, it was also on that level also. Uh, sometimes you, talk, you work very well with a director. As I said, we've done eight shows. I can suggest someone to Arthur, and if Arthur says absolutely not for specific reasons, then that's fine. But most of the time, well, all right, and you can bring them in, but maybe, maybe not. <laughs> uh, but we work together. It's important for me to know his taste. Mm -hmm. And he does. Mm -hmm. Well, he's, to he's be really honest wonderful. with you, on CAD, I think Fran knew the director's taste much more. I've now been working with him for two years, and I, I'm not so sure that I even know his taste now. <laughs> Fran was much closer to this, the British director, Howard Davis. Um, however, there are people in that cast that he absolutely did not even want to see for a callback. And Fran and I said, yes, you will. <laughs> and they're cast. They're on that stage doing wonderful jobs. Mm -hmm. And we knew it. And luckily, he's a good enough man and an open enough man to say, yes, I trust you. And we have in Gypsy five leading roles, thanks to Stuart, are played by people who had never been on Broadway mm -hmm. in a musical before. That's true. Hmm. In the leading roles. Mm -hmm. Six, counting time. Tell the story of Baby June. I find it intriguing uh, yes. where casting is concerned. Well, what I said, it, Gypsy is my favorite musical, and, you know, you don't get a chance to do, you don't get a chance to do a play like Cat in Roof every day either. But doing a show like Gypsy is a show that I always wanted to do, and to be able to do it with Arthur, blah, 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 blah. So I go into this show, and you read the play, and then talk to Arthur, and you realize the entire cast is filled with freaks. <laughs> I mean, they're just these very strange people with st strange talents. Um, finding the child was much... I don't know how difficult it was to find it when, in, during the Ethel Merman production or the Angela Lansbury production. It had to be difficult during Angela Lansbury because they brought her over from London. Uh, she was 25 years old, I bet. <laughs> Hoping you wouldn't say that. Um, but we, the little girls in Gypsy, well, Baby June, performs in a way that children are not taught to perform anymore. In a very artificial, professional, slick manner. So when we would see children, Fran and I saw, and Amy Schechter, my partner, a lot of children, <laughs> and, their there were, and their mothers. There are also <laughs> there are five boys in the show, also five little boys in the show, um, and we had and they have to tap dance. One has to play the clarinet, um, but the little girl, Baby June, is terribly difficult because she should dance on point, which nowadays 
parents and dance teachers don't allow little girls to go on point. Actually, that was adapted for this production. I, she doesn't wear point shoes. She has to tap dance. She has to act. She has to sing. And as Arthur said, when you think about Gypsy and you think about baby June, if she's not talented, the actual child, then Rose is insane. I mean, what is Rose doing if this girl is not talented? Because we saw a lot of girls who could behave like baby June, but were not talented. We auditioned hundreds of children. I had cast a film in South Carolina, which is opening next week. <laughs> this was four years ago. This film was shot. And I became friendly with many directors and um, agents and managers in South Carolina. We were totally frustrated from New York, Boston, up and down the East Coast. And I just thought, maybe South Carolina. We called the agents. They sent us videotapes of the children. And we sifted through many, many, many <laughs> videotapes. Eleven hours worth of videotapes. And we found four whom we invited at their expense to come to New York <laughs> and audition. Um, this little girl would have been passed by, I have to say, if it weren't for Arthur. I did not see her talent. I saw talent. I didn't see Baby June. And she did the choreography from the show, taught by the choreographer. And we were ready to go no again. And I didn't know what to do. I think we started rehearsals two weeks later, something like that. Everyone else was cast. And Arthur said, let her do her own routine something she learned in South Carolina. She did it, cast her. Oh, that's that day. I went up to her mother, by the way, and said, do you know, Fran is the one that said, does she know what's involved in this? And I said, I have no idea. Sometimes agents tell actors everything, and sometimes nothing. And I went up and said to the mother, do you know what's involved in this? And she said, no, what do you mean? <laughs> and I said, do you know that there's a six-month tour before New York. She said, oh, this is on in New York? <laughs> <laughs> and so I said, yeah, what did you think you were auditioning for? And she said, we didn't know, but they told us to come. Um, so I tried to explain, sweating profusely, <laughs> what it would mean traveling for six months. The, the little girl playing, Kristen, who plays Baby June, has a smaller sister, a younger sister. Who also auditioned. Who also auditioned. <laughs> and uh, the father, a working man. Um, this is a young couple with their two little girls. And they knew what they'd have to give up. I guess Alicia, actually. I called Alicia immediately <laughs> and said, you better get on the phone. <laughs> As opposed to films, in the theater, the casting director does not do the contracts. In films and television, the casting director negotiates the contracts. <laughs> I uh, knew we were in trouble yes. when she said, so where are we going to live? <laughs> <laughs> they had no idea. They had no idea that it would mean traveling for six months, living in hotels, which is a great life in some ways. I mean, very adventurous and very exciting, doing a spectacular show. Uh, but they had no idea what that meant. I want to get you into New York. I want to get you into the theater in New York. How did you choose the theater? 
How did the chief, what, was, what were the reasons? Uh, there was and a plethora of theaters <laughs> open to us. We could have had any choice. Uh, <laughs> Nobody wanted us. They didn't, they didn't. Nobody right. wanted us. We even had difficulty finding um, a theater for Gypsy. Uh, I remember well that uh, my good friends uh, who make their choices as they see fit because they are theater owners, the Jew Jamsons, were bidding and vying for Sting in Three Penny Opera. That was their first choice, and uh, Sting, Sting got us the theater. Yeah. That's, right. That's right. He turned down the St. James That's to right. take the Lundfontein, so they had nothing. So they said, well, you can come in and flop. Yeah. That was the they attitude. Were empty. They were empty. Mm -hmm. hmm. That's they right. didn't want it. They thought it would be a short Well, time. okay, but, but only halfway, because they did put an investment in the show, so they were... Well, they had to. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> do all theater They are very happy now. Do all now, theater owners now. Now, very happy. Yeah, after the fact. Um, uh, most of the time, they are, most of them are very generous. It really depends upon who the producers are and, and what it looks like it's going to be. But the Jujamsons really did put money into it. But it wasn't just the Jujamsons out there. It was the Schubert's, the Niederlander, the Jujamsons. They run all the theaters in New York. They all said no. If we hadn't lost how you, that... How do you go to each one of them? Or do you sometimes. have one that's a friend of yours? Or you go where you get the best deal or the best no, money it's really, coming back? It really, it has a lot to do with it being best for the show. I mean, mm -hmm. first of all, the director always, we take the, the director and he, and he would insist if we didn't to go and look at, at the theater and see how, how wonderful it is for your show and how it supports mm -hmm. the show. Sometimes you have no choice. There are no theaters. And you get the men's golf. Yeah. And, and, you, and you have to get it. That's true. That's true. The Gershman. Gershman, yes. Gershman. But sometimes when they criticize, and critics do criticize producers for playing too no large choice. a theater, you have no choice. There's no theater available. A few years ago, you could bowl, I mean, in any theater. There was nobody there. I mean, there were no, there was, there were no shows. Now there are so many shows, there's no theaters. But so and, and the theater owners don't... Their only consideration is real estate and money. They never think this is something that should be seen or might be good for the theater. They really don't care. Do they? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. to a degree they do. <laughs> well, they, they do under a guise of a foundation. Well, I no. like the no. idea, though, of you, of you the, the point that you just made, though, of what a theater has to be good for the show. Yeah. That's right. And I think that's a, a very important premise. I haven't heard that expressed before. Usually it's a theater that's available or the theater that we can get some kind of investment right. out of. But the idea that you, you audition a theater, in a sense, yes. of how your show yeah. will be presented in that theater. I don't think Gypsy came together until we played the St. James, mm -hmm. not since Chattanooga. That's right. That's it true. was like playing in a living room after playing in Shea Stadium. Mm -hmm. Right. It's a wonderful theater. Yes. You must have favorite theaters besides the St. James. The Winter Garden. <coughs> Uh, for a straight play, a small Straight play, theater. oh yeah. Well, one that they don't like, but I think the Lyceum mm -hmm. is beautiful yeah. and it's small and it's intimate. It's the wrong side of Broadway, yes. they claim, but it's yeah. just it's put a, a second just, balcony, still. they claim. Yes, but just put a hit in there, it'll bring it back. That's right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What about ticket theater. prices? Well, you know, if you have a show that people want to see, they will pay anything. I mean, it's a terrible thing to say that it's not just about a show, it's about anything in life. We sell out our orchestra first for every hit we've ever had. It's the balcony or the second balcony, and you can, you can charge $10 sometimes, as Lish and Barry will attest to, in the second balcony, and nobody will come. 
I mean, it's really... You haven't merchandised that second ballot. Yes, you do. You but when Early and I worked on La Cage Folle that mm -hmm. Arthur directed, every performance, and it was advertised, the second balcony had $10 seats. Not five seats, ten seats, uh, hundreds of seats. They were never sold. Hmm. except at the beginning. And the orchestra was always sold out. They no, did know about it. And I'm it not was saying, listen, yes. nobody likes to yes. sit. I mean, everyone so likes to sit in the best seat in a restaurant as well. I mean, there's all this class <laughs> stuff of where you sit. And of course, it's nice. To, you see something better from the orchestra. You also don't have the theater lovers that you had when I was a kid, right. where we would sure. pay, you know, go sit and... I used to sit in the last I used to stand. I sat in the balcony to see Gypsy with it. Always second acted it, as we used to that say. That too. You know, but those people don't, they don't care about the theater. They care about movies. Mm -hmm. Well, I think... Even off-Broadway is expensive. It's getting so. $30. I know. But be, we're going to break for questions in a minute. And be, when we come back, I'd like to talk more about filling that whole theater and not just make the theater an event, which is what it's becoming now. It's, you have to have the big theater and the blockbuster the corporate money that's going to get into the theater and want a big return for it. And, and, and uh, it's, it's going to be short-sighted, and it is short-sighted. I think as a theater producer, you have to think about getting those second balconies and getting people in from outside the New York City. On Wednesday afternoons is one of the most exciting times that I know when I walk down the street on Broadway and I see all those buses and the people pouring out of the buses coming from New Jersey and Connecticut and they're eager and they're happy to go to the theater and they, it, they, they walk in the streets. It's a wonderfully exciting thing to see so people do want to go to the theater. You have to make it possible for them to do it other than make it just that big social event that if they're paying a lot of money they have to have the best seat and that they're having, that means having you know the best time. Same thing as you said in a restaurant. That's a show now going to an expensive restaurant. So I think it's up to you people, it's up to the Shirley's and the rest of the people to, to merchandise those second balcony and, and come to the theater irregardless. I think it's deeper. I think it's about the whole mm -hmm. quality of life in the country and what people care about. I mean, we've come out of a dreadful decade of greed and money. I'm not kidding You'll about find that. The those balcony seats are very often occupied by fixed-income senior citizens. Good, let's and do more of it. We're going to stop. Because they've grown up going to the theater, and this is their only opportunity. That's right. Let's continue this when we get back. And just take a brief break. And if you have any questions, also please get them ready. And, and mm -hmm. ask, get to a, a wing volunteer with your questions. Thank you. This is CUNY TV, Channel 75.
We're continuing with the American Theatre Wing seminars on working in the theatre. These are coming to you from the Graduate Center at the City University of New York, which is located in the heart of Times Square, in the heart of the theatre, where both Broadway, Off-Broadway, and Off-Off-Broadway all meet to show us the very best that New York can offer. Today's seminar is on the production, and it is an exciting and interesting one because without the people that are on this seminar, you would not get to see any theater at all. And so without any ado, I'm going to introduce our Brendan Gill, or reintroduce Brendan Gill, and Jean Dalrymple, who will co-moderate and continue where we left off on what it means to be a producer in today's world. Well, one thing, it appears to mean uh, being extremely busy indeed uh, to keep, even intending to have four productions and then three, but now, in opera and in other forms of, of performance arts, people are booked through 92, 93, 94, 98, something like that. Have you already got plans uh, roughed out uh, for three years from now, two years from now, or is it more happenstance than that? No. No, we, we set goals for ourselves and uh, certainly make plans for the uh, short term and the long term. The long term being five years, mm -hmm. the short term one or two years. And, and you, you were saying, while we were just talking together about the fact that because you are the producers who stay in business and work continuously, that you were able to have a cadre, a staff, that is mm -hmm. permanently uh, associated with you, and that is absolutely un, unheard of in the theater, I gather. Well, I'm going to answer that for a moment. Uh, Barry and I both came from a retail background. So we had learned about the business before we learned about the art form, really. But one thing we, we had learned is that you have to stay in business. You and I had two children, and, and I thought to myself, what if we open a show and it dies? What do we do? I mean, I was much more conservative than that, so I was always scared about that. So we decided we had to have a business. So there, therefore, we general manage in-house, which is what Alicia does. And she brings people who work for her when we have multiple shows. We book in-house. Most producers uh, hire outside general managers and hire outside booking establishments. We do that so that when we're having a tough year, and we've had very tough years, obviously, our business goes on. We don't have to fire people when a show closes and all of a sudden there's only two people sitting in the office because you've only had one show that you've produced and it died. So our booking division, uh, headed by a young woman by the name of Susan Weaving, who's also terrific and been with us a long time, books other shows <coughs> other than just ours. So we have an ongoing business so that we can continue. And I think that's important. I think future producers. Do you have, have the monetary think. involvement in those other shows? Oh yes. Oh no, not in the other shows. No. Only in the commission that may go to the booking division. I see. But that also makes it possible for you to make long-range plans. Yes. Uh, yes. So for I next year, do you already have two or three? Well, for next uh, year, we're, we're hoping that Fiddler on the Roof, which is on the road now with Topol and is on a three-month uh, hiatus now, will be coming in to New York. We hope in November. We're planning on that. One never knows what's going to happen. And we also are working uh, on a new show called Topper, and we're very uh, excited about the possibility of bringing that in probably next spring or next summer. Mm -hmm. so Aren't you unique in being able to do all of that? Tell me what you, just tell me what you mean by that. I mean, in order to, um, there are so few people who can afford to have an organization like yours. But you see, what I'm saying is yes, uh, we can I keep know. our organization going somehow. Um, 
Oh, I think there are other producers, Jean, that work yes. like us. I, I'm sure Emmanuel Eisenberg, one of our yeah. uh, fine producers and theater, and theater and managers, owners, certainly mm -hmm. well, uh, can, sta unique, can stay in business. <laughs> you I can, I can sorry, say on. one thing, though. If any success mm -hmm. we've had, I believe, Barry may, may not, but has not only depended on the product we choose, but truly the director we choose. I really do believe that. And any failures we've had, I believe, are also, uh, uh, that person is accountable. Uh, and it's our choice. And that when we've made good choices, like with Arthur Lawrence, we wanted to do this really not because of Tyne Daly originally, but because of Arthur Lawrence. Not only did he write the greatest script we think ever written for a musical, but directed it brilliantly. And we have the same thing we believe with Cat in a Hot Tin Roof, where we waited two years for Howard Davies to say yes again. So Why did you reach out for an English director? Because we went to London, like by accident, and mm -hmm. saw Cat in a Hot Tin Roof performed by a London company, starring Lindsay uh, uh, Duncan and a young man by the name of Ian Charles, Charleston. And it was, we just loved it. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and we waited to make sure that he would do it. And then we had to introduce him to Kathleen and, you know, the rest is history. To get back to the money part of it, I keep finding myself I know. doing that. I know. Uh, you've reached out to corporate support. Yes. And uh, how, did, how do you do that? And how, how much of, of your efforts go towards that, of bringing in the American Express, the Exxon, the people that are involved in, not just in, in putting money into your show, but in merchandising as well. Don't they help you in that area? Yes, they do, and a great deal of our effort is spent in bringing in the American Expresses, the AT&Ts, the Tokyo Broadcasting Systems, mm -hmm. or 20th Century Fox, Paramount, what have you. Um, they're useful on many levels. Uh, investment capital, um, sponsorship, uh, product identification and co-oping advertising. They advertise us, we advertise them. Uh, why don't you help me? What else do we do with some of these sponsors? I, th I really think that that's probably where the corporate involvement comes in. Why do they want to come in? Different reasons. Yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, Tokyo Broadcasting wanted true. it to have exposure in New York, wanted exposure with Broadway, and that's what really enticed them to come into Gypsy. Um, they, they liked Barry and Fran's track record, they liked the productions that they had done in the past, and it also tied into them making exposure in New York. American Express has been, I think, terrific mm -hmm. to the uh, theater community. image and a great deal of the entertainment is charged mm -hmm. to American Express. It, it's participation in... Has it anything to do with the type of audience that goes to the theater as compared to the moviegoer? Is, there, is, is it a more absolute? I think so. Isn't it true that there's a musical on Broadway that's kept going by a depilatory company? That's true. There is one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's solely to sell their product. Well, but that's an entirely different line <coughs> of pay. No, American no, Express it's a corporate, selling their corporate product. Selling their product. Charge. American no. Express wants uh, uh, potential customers to buy the gold card, mm -hmm. and you thus they've created... I'm sorry, Barry. You, you take your gold card, they're go you're going to charge your theater tickets, but you're also going to charge your dinner and anything you do afterwards. So it's quite beneficial to them. I think they've been extremely good friend to the theater, mm -hmm. and I, I like the way oh, that they absolutely. have come into it, and I think there should be more uh, of that. To backtrack our experience with Lacage, uh, <coughs> our ads all contain Pan Am credit, 
Why? Because Pan Am supplied us with tickets to I anywhere in the world. I never used mine. Neither did I. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Can you imagine <coughs> we were free given tickets around the world? To any I place in the world. It. Around the world. It ran out, and then, of course, they wouldn't move it up. Wouldn't <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, the person that issued it was no longer there. It was no. as good as long as, as, long as he right. was there, and he yeah. left. However, but that's good for them. Do you have the Japanese in your, in your shows, too? Do you have Japanese backing yes. investments? In, From in some of the shows, mm -hmm. not all of them. Certainly right. Gypsy. Mm -hmm. uh, and in line with, their, with what Alicia said uh, regarding their wanting presence uh, on the Broadway scene, they also wanted to be sure that if Gypsy was the right kind of musical, that they'd be the presenter in Tokyo. Mm -hmm. and we're now negotiating um, a contract with them to send Gypsy with Tyne Daly to Tokyo. And the press agent. <laughs> and the director. And the director. Have you, have you sent anything to Tokyo, any, any of your productions yet? Yes. We presented my one and only uh, there a few years ago. Mm -hmm. And that was a sight to, to behold, because that included Tommy Toon, a six-foot-six tap dancer, <laughs> walking amongst the Japanese, who uh, rarely grow that tall. Uh, we're also presenting Fiddler on the Roof with Topol there in October uh, under the auspices of Ito. Ito is a shipping company. They um, specialize in soybean, sending soybean Stettles. all over the world. Mm -hmm. And shtetls now. Is there any way of, of telling us what is the percentage that goes into a ticket price? How does it become... 35, 45, 50, or 55, and how is it that all the theaters pretty much are within five dollars the same? Is there any breakdown of it that says why it, you have to have this price? Before they answer, they're the ones who know the answer, but I, I think when you made your introductions, you mentioned the fact that a billion today <coughs> is what a million used to be. I think that sums mm -hmm. it up, but you explain it. Mm -hmm. Uh, how do we arrive at the $50 top? And now uh, I'm told uh, it's going to 60. Yeah. Uh, and and Cameron has set aside a number of seats uh, at $100 uh, for Miss Saigon. How are those prices arrived at? Uh, the costs of a musical or the costs of a comedy or a drama basically fall within certain uh, certain what? Certain parameters. Guidelines. Parameters. Certain Dollar. parameters. Thank you. That's why he's the writer and I'm the producer. <laughs> they fall within certain parameters. Uh, and, and give or take a few dollars, they're all the same. Basically, you need so much of a percentage of a house capacity to break even. Uh, you need so much to pay your basic stagehand costs, front of house. Uh, but a straight play that costs two and a half or three million dollars is compared to a musical comedy. Well, may I ask a question? Does the fact that they're of the existence of the ticket booth, where the tickets are going to be reduced and of discount for group sales, does that influence the price of the ticket? By that I mean, if you're reducing $50, you get a bigger hunk. If you're reducing $35, it's not so big. Yes, it does, and you're, you're, you're very astute, and you're absolutely right on. Uh, but we measure that within those parameters, knowing how many tickets will be sold at the booth, right. know, knowing how many will be full price, and we still come out with the same numbers and what it takes to break on Broadway. And usually it's in the 66th percentile. You have to have a 66% capacity 
fill to make sure you can pay your bills. It's 60 to? 66 percent. 66 percent. The rule of thumb. Mm -hmm. Sort of like hotels in that case. I think that's yes, about it is their Brendan. thing. Exactly you know, correct. Been appointed to. Mm -hmm. That's odd and wonderful. And yeah. we do sit there with a formula and work it out before we open the show. Is there any merit in the fact that if you know that you do not, that you're going to have 50 or 75 empty seats, you certainly know that by 6.30 or 7 o'clock that you have a reduced price ticket sale at the box office for either senior citizens, card holders, students, whatever. The seats are empty. Well, we've often done student and senior discounts. I don't, I mean. The, How do you have that? We, we, when have we done it? I mean, I don't think that we're doing it presently on Gypsy or Cat, but it, we have done it in the past. It certainly is something but that you is... you mentioned that a seat that is empty, you know, is over. It's, mm -hmm. it, you yes, lost but, it. if, but if you do that, then the next day they'll wait to the last minute. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. We'll get around. Yes. Right. It muddies the waters after a, wh a while, Isabel. You happen. have to draw in, some in lines. In London, where there are student prices and where people are yeah. you're constantly going up. But it the London, in London, it. they go to the theatre. Well, that's because it's made more available to them, and they're constantly talking about the theatre, and they're not relying on, on one They also view. have a tradition of language. You go to see Shakespeare in Bristol. You don't have to go to uh, London. And they sit there with the text in their laps. Here they don't go. That's right. Also, I think they go to certain theaters. They've obviously never yes. seen at the Allrich. Right, at, absolutely. No matter what's in there, they'll go. Yeah. We don't have a literary tradition in this country, and they do. I mean, of the word. Right. By the way, that speaks to your point before the break which is what's wrong with the theater in this country and what can we do to repair it and uh, I dislike being negative certainly in a forum uh, as lovely as this one but uh, I don't know if there is any help for us in our generation perhaps 20 or 25 years down the road uh, you see in London secretaries workers clericals will finish their day's work and head off to the theater and they will have a sandwich at the theater and tea at intermission. They will enjoy themselves and then go home after, the, after a theatrical experience. And we do not have that tradition here. We don't rush off to the theater after work. We go to the gym. <laughs> also, it's a class thing here. There, I remember going to see uh, The Misanthrope. And at the interval, some cockney kids from way up in the gallery came clattering down, and you could hear them arguing the merits of the translation. <laughs> <laughs> Not in this country. That's right. It's the education. The education's a big part. Well, I think it's up to people like you to get that here. No, teachers. Well, teachers. No, I think it's up to Starting the schools. Well, well that's we just are. the doing of our Saturday yeah. Theater for Children you program, online. but it's only one small program. Would you like to ask your question? Yes, thank you. Hi, uh, my name is Lori Schulweiss, and my question is for Mr. Howard. I wanted to know how difficult it is to recast a leading role in a successful show, like for instance replacing Tyne Daly and to keep the show successful at the same time. Did they pay you? Pertinent <laughs> 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 question. It's a very pertinent question right now. Um, we're look, Tyne uh, will be leaving the show. She's been in the show for more than a year. Um, Kathleen Turner may leave Cat in a Hutton Roof. It's very difficult. Um, you not only have the artistic, which I guess I can say that I'm supposed to be in charge of finding that person, but the producers have to be able to say, well, 
Madame X coming in to replace Tyne Daly, we know the percentages are going to drop down. What are we going to do about that? There are many shows that have major stars in them that close as soon as the star wants to leave. Um, I, is it hard? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very, very, very hard. Hi. My name is Susan Joseph, and thank you all for being here. I've enjoyed this. Um, anyone who wants to comment on this question, it's been covered a little bit. How do we convince the government and ultimately our society that theater is a vital part of our national life and not just frivolous entertainment? Yeah. Well, first of all, think of the people you vote for. I mean that very seriously. You're your congressman, your senators, and your president. The National Endowment for the Arts is in trouble because of Congress. And I, I don't think people in this country believe that the vote means, gives them any power. And I think it can, if it's used. I think that's where it has to start. I think right now everybody should work for the National Endowment on the Arts and make sure that it doesn't... Get censored out of get, existence. Absolutely, because it looks to me as though it's very, very... Uh, shaky right now. Isn't the corporate world that we talked about and industrious and, and, and neighborhood people going all the way down to that, aren't they supporting the theater? Taking up slacks, not, in, not a, as a, a supportive role as the government would take in it, but there is money coming to the theater. More so than in any other um, industry, more so than in the book business that you oh. mentioned, Brendan. Oh, not by a long shot, no. uh, Isabel. Uh, do you know how much money corporations put into sporting events? Mm -hmm. We're infinitesimal compared to, to what a football game or, or a baseball uh, playoff tennis. means. Tennis. Tennis. Millions. Millions of dollars are spent in oh. bowling. Do you realize how much is put into the bowling league now by corporations such as beer companies? We, we get a scratch uh, of yeah. what that industry gets. Mm -hmm. uh, and the same thing goes for cosmetics <coughs> and what have you. That's that. Thank you. Hello, my name is Cheryl Zoldowski and my question is for Ms. Parker. I'm curious about the role of the stage managers in, this, in the production, um, the role of production. And do you often go with the same stage managers? I know very often you work with a team or so. And how often do you see new people? We try to see new people regularly. I mean, because it's very important, especially in the assistant stage manager positions, mm -hmm. um, to start new people up so that they eventually do go to the production stage manager position. And um, I think that they're extremely important. And you try very much to use the same people over and over because they begin to learn your ways. Mm -hmm. However, that's usually in the production stage manager position and not in the assistant. So I think everybody that's interested in that should, should stick with it because the chance is there. Great. Thank you. Hi. My name is uh, Tommy Jacobs, and I'm an actress here in the city. And I also have four children who act as well. And um, my question is for the entire panel, and that has to do with children. And why are there no children's prizes in the theater? Um, I'd like my kids to see Gypsy. I went to see it and sat in the back row. And I don't think they get as much at, out of it in the back row because they're little. And um, I spent $120 taking my boys to see um, another play, just two of my sons and myself. And, uh, a family of six can't afford to do that but once a year. So 
what can we do about children's prices if we want our next generation to enjoy the theater? I think that's such a relevant question and point. Thank you. We'll think about that. <laughs> if we can't, no, no, I'm not, I'm not uh, hedging, hedging the question. We'll think about that and see if we can't come up with a solution. I don't know how you monitor that type of situation. What do you do? Have a special line with a ruler, the way my mom got me on buses years ago and into movies? I, I don't know how you monitor that, and I don't know how you set seats aside for a family of four or six. But it is something, it is a question that we should look into. Well, we do do it as a student groups. Mm -hmm. So generally we do special prices for student groups so that we bring them in through the schools right. as opposed to in individual families. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, um, my name is Hilary Malzlin and I'm um, studying theater production right now. And I guess this question is for the Wisers basically is, uh, if, would you take a show on the road without the insurance of a star? Well, sometimes um, the, the, the show is the star, such as Chorus Line. And you're very fortunate in, in, in that respect because that just happened to happen that way. I think you really, in our case, I would say we've, we've always tried to have a star of some stature to sell tickets on the road. I don't think we, we would do it otherwise. Well, I disagree. Okay. Don't leave yet. I think there are, there are certain productions <laughs> that should be uh, played yeah. uh, on the road. West Side Story that's is one a star that um, uh, plays yeah. on its own level. And uh, uh, there are certain productions we would do without stars. Thank you. I'm Dixon Shaw, and I'm an actor. And questions for Stuart Howard. Uh, I'm wondering if at that first call of Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, where you had to be an actor and uh, make believe that you were really casting, were you able to get any people from that first call uh, that you used in the production? Yes, and I can't remember. Jerry, for instance. Yes. Um, I'm glad to know that. <laughs> yes. Um, abs oh, uh, and several we tried. We actually wanted one of the leading roles um, who then went into, I can't remember the name of the play, it closed in a few minutes, David Hare's play. Oh, wow. Secret Rapture. She went into the Secret Rapture and could not do our play. We very much, all of us, wanted her to do it. So, so it was her choice. So it wasn't a, it wasn't a lost audition Oh, no, all. no, no, not oh, at all. Wonderful. And in fact, a couple of our understudies came from that call. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Hello, I'm Roz Dunn. I've been involved in various aspects of theater. And my question for anyone on the panel is, could you explain to us sort of how and what part TDF plays in your plans? should take that. I think a, a big part. We were strongly supported by TDF uh, Gypsy during its previews and were, you know, extremely appreciative of having the audience as well as the income that came from the tickets that they supported. Um, and I think that we try always to include them in, in the, the early stages of any production. Thank you. When do you give them the tickets? <laughs> For CDF. what time period of the show? Usually mm -hmm. in the early weeks of the production. Mm -hmm. I'm Fergus McIntyre and I'd like to ask all around the panel, what is the single most important piece of advice you would offer someone who wants to become a producer? Oh. Stick, stick with it. Be tenacious. 
Yeah, I think I think Barry's right when he says that because as as Arthur pointed out, it is really hard, and I think people go into it thinking it's glamorous as films are, as advertising is, as any of the performing arts, and it's really hard. What experience do you need? Where, what's your background for? Well, I suppose we're fortunate, aren't we? We didn't even know at that time that we would, we would use uh, the, the uh, method of producing that has uh, trained us so well uh, for Broadway. We, we toured uh, professional productions in the school system of the United States, and that taught us everything we now use in our business. We learned about the road, for one thing, and we learned about ticket sales, and, and we were like one of those couples that you read about in magazines and you kind of want to throw up when you read about <laughs> where they did everything in their house and in the basement they were building the costumes and in the garage they had the set stored, and Barry and I really did do that. And then we decided we had to make a living. See, we always thought in terms of it being a business, and I think that's probably the most important thing I can say is think of it as being a business. Thank you. We have time for this. One more question. <laughs> my name is Dolores Lago and I'm a musician. And my question is addressed to uh, Ms. Parker. Uh, on the road, do you find it preferable to take your own musicians along or would you rather hire local talent? We usually take core musicians with us, uh, the conductor and assistant conductor and various other parts depending on the score and then we use local musicians for all the other parts so I think that that's the best combination using some of both. Thanks very much. Thank you very much. We've been listening to the producers of Cat on a Hot Tin Roof and Gypsy on the American Theatre Wing seminar on working in the theatre which are coming to you from the Graduate Center at the City University of New York. This is but one program of the American Theatre Wing's year-round programs which include hospital shows, Saturday theater for children, these seminars, a ticket program which producers like the Weislers that you've been listening to today give us tickets so that people that are involved in the theater can go and see good theater. Thank you very much for being with us, and I hope that we will see you again and again. Go to the theater.